Serve it up, Frankie. Oh, girl, where'd you get those shoes? Fuck me, Marie, what, what can I serve you? Squirrel meat. Cap, what's happening, babe? Honey, it's not that type of party. What you mean? Honey, you see these pumps? I wanna, I wanna, I want you to meet some friends of mine. No, you'll like them. They're, they're musicians. Two Nicks United for West Compton. Before NWA put Compton on the map, Prince recorded a song, intended for release in late 1987, titled, to abbreviated N-words, United for West Compton. Instead of a politically charged discussion of gang violence, poverty, police brutality, and systematic racism running rampant in the Southern California suburb, this song is a mostly instrumental funk workout initially created for Sheila E.'s December 1986 birthday party. So, bottom line, the title's a bit misleading. And since it's mostly instrumental, we don't have much in the way of lyrics to talk about, but on this episode I did invite Jerry Bonner back to the show to give me his Black Album story. So welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you, Jason. And once again, always a uh, pleasure to be here on the uh, the, Prince, uh, the Prince Lyrics podcast. If I could say yeah. the word right, that would be good too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all good. It's not, uh, it's not a lyric, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. we, we can just go off the cuff with these lines. Now, speaking of off the cuff, um, I've got you on a cuff for a couple reasons. One, because this song uh, doesn't have really lyrics to it that we can really speak to. Um, there's some spoken word, like a spoken word intro that's really kind of chaotic, and we'll get to that in a minute. And I felt a little bit off the cuff. I don't really know if it is or if it was pre-written, predetermined by like the folks that were part of that if prince kind of gave some guidance to them not sure but uh before we even get into that though the other thing you know i've been doing with guests of mine for black album episodes i've been asking my guests to kind of tell their black album story with a with an album with as much with as much lore behind it as the black album and as much mystery mystique I mean, it's quote unquote legendary black album. So, I mean, there's got to be some legendary stories out there about how people were trying to listen to it in the years after it was shelled until it was finally, you know, officially released in 1994. So, um, yeah, why don't you why don't you tell us your black album story, Jerry? Yeah, so I guess mine would be, you know, fairly different than than a lot of other people's. I mean, I, I think I was I was trying to be somewhat uh industrious i guess maybe a little i don't know um you know a little i guess it was just teenage enthusiasm in certain ways but um yeah i mean i had you know there was a lot of build up to, to the black album coming out um and especially in the press and um specifically in uh, playboy magazine there's uh, you know one of the more esteemed uh, rock critics uh robert Criscow. Um, you know, who's a huge Prince advocate, kind of always kind of was, um, wrote a good deal about the, the Black Album uh, leading up to it coming out. So, you know, it, you're waiting for it, you know, and it's like, oh, you're kind of in a, you know, a fever pitch waiting. And then a week before it's supposed to be released, it's, you know, he, he pulls the plug on it. Prince pulls the plug on it. 
So I'm like, you know, everybody, I think everybody, any Prince fan at the time who was kind of clued in on that was a bit stunned. It's like, okay, well, what the hell? And um, so my mind, you know, kind of got to work on it a little bit. And I'm like, well, how, maybe I don't, did stores even get it? Or, I mean, I don't, I knew they get, you know, sometimes they got stuff. Or, I mean, I worked in, in retail and stuff like that. So I know sometimes things, they got them early and, and they would sit in the back or whatever. And, but there was none of that that I at least had heard of. So really the only thing that I could think of to do, and he was the only person I knew that actually had the album was Robert Criscow. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to write this guy a letter. You know, I'm just going to say, <laughs> Hey, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a 16, 17 year old Prince fan. You know, um, you know, I, I know you have this album. Obviously you, you got like a pre, you know, whatever, a pre review, a review copy of it and had it before a lot of other people did. Obviously you wrote extensively about it in, in Playboy and, you know, Hey, could you, uh, you know, could you hook a brother up? You know, could, can I send you a tape and can you record it for me and, you know, send it and send it back to me and, you know, send it off. You know, this is an, I mean, I actually sat down at my desk with a pen and paper and wrote all that out and, you know, put it in the mail with a stamp and everything. Um, you know, I'm pretty much a foreign concept nowadays. Um, but yeah, that's the extent I went to. And so I mailed her off with, you know, the best intentions, obviously, you know, all the hopes and dreams in the world and, and then, you know, nothing, I don't get anything, you know, back and, and all, and, you know, I, who knows if the man even, you know, got the letter, but, um, I sent it and, uh, you know, obviously didn't get anything back. So years go by and it's like, you know, every once in a while you hear like these, you know, the, the whispered tales, like you were saying, kind of this legendary thing and everybody, you know, people would talk about it here and there. And as, as I'm recalling, it was, it was another a rock critic again, that that kind of, um, lit the fire under me again to try to find it now that, you know, I think this, this was, it was, it was right after my, my son was born. So I want to say it was like 92, 93 ish. And there was a, uh, a rock critic, you know, rock critic for the uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, named Tom Moon, another guy who would, you know, pretty much anything Prince did, he he loved and gushed about and blah blah blah, and um, you know, I was I read his article, you know, typically, you know, pretty faithfully, at least you know, every Sunday, uh, there was you know, kind of a big art section, and he would have something or other in in there. And nine times out of 10, something would relate to Prince or he would, you know, pull it into Prince somehow and yada, yada. And um, so he was talking about the Black Album again. And I'm like, you know, geez, it's like, I got to find this thing. I got to try at least to, you know, that kind of ignited this passion again, in a sense, where it's like, all right, I'm going to find this, this album. And you know, I'm not, and I'm still not to this day. And, and I wasn't before that. I'm not one of these guys who you know, wanted to collect bootlegs or, or any of that, or, you know, buy like, you know, some cheap version of a guy who recorded a concert, you know, <laughs> with a, with a tape recorder, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing. It just, that never appealed to me in any way, shape or form. But this, I said, this kind of, you know, like I said, it had this, it became a Holy grail in a sense, you know, you can look at it that way um, of, of something that, you know, I, I wanted or, or needed to have in my life. And, um, so yeah, you know, after seeing that, I, again, we're, we're, you know, we're talking, you know, before the internet. So I had to look up like some like record stores, like in, in the phone book, um, you know, kind of like, you know, smaller record stores that may or may not, you know, sell, you know, these kind of things and, you know, call them up on the phone and say, Hey, you know, do you have, you know, Prince's black album? And I called a few. And then finally I found one that said that they had it. 
um, had a CD version of it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it, was, it wasn't like, around, it wasn't super far from my house, but it wasn't around the corner either. It was about a 45 minute drive. And, you know, I drive over and we pick it up. I, you know, I think I paid 40 bucks for it. Um, as I'm recalling and, um, yeah, you know, I, I buy it. I, my car, unfortunately at that point didn't, a lot of cars still didn't have like a CD player in it. So I had to wait until I, I got home to, to actually play the album. And I gotta say, and you know, this is to, to this day, it's still my, my take on it is the black album to me is, is very, very disappointing. It, it only has two songs that I, I really enjoy which are Cindy C and, and Bob George. Um, everything else to me just sounds a little too long. I think that a lot of it is just, you know, and kind of drawn out. It's, there's got a few of the songs. It's, it's, you know, just, it seems like they could be a minute or two shorter and, and uh, yeah, there's nothing really else resonated with me. And I, I think the main thing of it was, I guess I had all this anticipation for it. And I, the way that Robert Christgau wrote about it, really had me believing in a sense that this was going to be an album of kind of like dirty kind of sexual songs. Mm -hmm. And I was expecting an album full of let's pretend we're married, erotic city, um, you know, head, um, you know, irresistible bitch, uh, you know, that though I was expecting songs in that kind of vein, which I really liked. I mean, those kind of, you know, kind of the, the more, you know, whatever you want to call it, the uh, the darker side or the more sexual side of Prince was something that always appealed to me when he wrote songs like that. And, you know, a full album of that was kind of what I was expecting. And that's not what was delivered. And, you know, and even one of the songs was already released on Love Sexy. And it's like, hmm, okay, well, this was rather disappointing in, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, and to this day still, I, you know, because of that experience, I, I really will very rarely go anywhere near any kind of like, you know, bootlegs or, or, or whatever that kind of, you know, stuff, or we'll chase any of that kind of stuff down. Just, I don't know, it's just not worth, my experience was it just was not worth the effort, um, that I had uh, put into it. So, yeah, you put so, quite yeah. an effort into it. <laughs> no, I did. I totally did. You really did. Yeah. Really I did. mean, you know, to have it not be you know, anything that was really, I, you know, to this day, I still, it just, it doesn't resonate with me that album in any way. It's, you know, I, I, again, I, I, every once in a while I'll, I'll try to listen, you know, through and, and it's like, okay, this is fine, but it's, it's just not, I don't know. It's just Bob George is clearly the, you know, the best song because to me, in my mind, I mean, it, it just, you know, there's few songs I guess that really can make you kind of laugh. And Bob George is definitely that, you know, some of those lines are, are and the way they're delivered in that, you know, that, you know, that toned down voice, um, are just hysterical still, you know, that, you know, so, um, mm-hmm. that far and away yeah, is the, the, the best song on the album to me. And, you know, so, yeah. So I blame Robert Christgau and Tom Moon and all those people. <laughs> and if Prince was still right. alive, I'd, I'd blame him too. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got I my mean, hopes not... up Prince. What the hell? Come on, man. It sounds like this was a victim of overhype for you for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But again, yeah, weird expectations. Cool. I was expecting X, and they gave me Y. And you know, it's it's. I guess the best analogy would be if you know if you you go to the refrigerator and you you expect to drink lemonade, and then you drink milk. By you know, it's either you know, like in a container you can't see. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that. I was expecting lemonade, and I got milk. So <laughs> and, yeah, 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, I can, I can understand that take. I mean, there's, you're not alone in the take of overhype kind of killing the enthusiasm for finally hearing these songs, especially those who put a lot of money or effort. I mean, you said you spent about 40 bucks in the early nineties. That's yeah. Like 90 yeah, 93. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's like twice as much now in 2021. So imagine spending, you know, like 75, $80, on a cd eight songs eight tracks one of them was already previously available as you mentioned on love sexy and really not loving it that's that's not a good return on your investment there from an enjoyment standpoint. Like 10, bucks, 10 bucks per song <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know as i said it um and i i'm pretty i mean i i think that was probably the most i ever spent on an album or anything like that up until that point you know, that I think 40 bucks at that point, you know, yeah. I would, I would be hard pressed to think that I, I would have spent that on, on anything else music related beyond like tickets or something like that, like concert tickets. But yeah, yeah. you did it because it was, it was being spoken about as this amazing piece of work that this amazing gem, hidden gem or lost, lost gem, I should say. Uh, and then if you just would have waited like another year, <laughs> I, you know, I know. And that's, yeah. I know, but you didn't know what you didn't know. Right. So, yeah. But what's funny though, too, and I, I forgot this until I said before coming on here again, I, I listened to the black album again last night and, and, um, I always forget like the, the version that I have, the track listing is different. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, they might, I don't know if that was the original track listing that I have, like that was what it was supposed to be, or they changed it, you know, when they finally did release it you know, whatever, a year or two later, because, um, yeah, the, what I have is, is different, not completely different. It's just, uh, you know, there's a switch. I mean, let me, I know Bob George is the last out last song on the second side and it, on, I guess the released version, it's the first song on the second side, that one Correct. definitely, yeah. you know, uh, but yeah, on the version that I have, Bob George is the very last song, um, interesting on it. So, okay. Thank you for sharing that story. It's uh, I'm sorry that uh, it, this album doesn't you know speak to you. I mean, granted, not every Prince album is going to speak to every single fan, so it's this is not a unique situation we're in. But with that said, the song that you know I'm going to be covering here quickly isn't instrumental for the most part. But what what happens at the very beginning of of the track is we have kind of a like a segue between. Uh, super funky California sexy so on the official release version from 94 and maybe not the version you had but on the official release version that track precedes this one and then it's the follow-up is uh, rock hard in a funky place and the only kind of lines we get in the song sound like just a conversation in a club to me like they're you've got uh voices coming in and out they're speaking over each other it's a bit chaotic You've got Cat Glover, who leads it off with the line, Serve It Up Frankie, which is a callback to a line that she had said in Lagrind. And as we mentioned in that episode, that's a you know a reference to uh, Frankie, the DJ Frankie Knuckles from Chicago. So we've got that line again. So there's a couple things, there's a couple words, phrases, lines in the beginning here that we've heard before in previous songs so serve up frankie's a repeat from lagrind so yeah that's what i get at the very beginning is kind of like a club vibe with a bunch of different people talking and 
arguing and discussing who knows what i mean is that kind of i mean what kind of a kind of a sound do you get or what kind of an imagery do you get from this beginning jerry yeah i mean it's it's right it's it's like a you know at a party or something of that nature or some sort of industry party I, that's what i take as the way the you know prince kind of you know has the kind of puts on that voice essentially um you know, sounds like almost like a, a sleazy kind of music industry type person trying to get with Cat, you know, as it ends. And, you know, you hear these kind of, you know, get voices in the back with a lot of crosstalk. And, you know, we, you know so it, it, I think it's it, to me, the vibe I get is like, oh, it's some sort of sleazy music industry party. And here's this guy trying to, you know, make time with, with Cat. And uh, and then it, you know, obviously jumps into the, the song itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's what I take. And I, as I you know, I... To me, it, I, don't, I don't know if it, I'm trying to think. I know I don't. This might be the first time he did something like that in a song because I know in other you know songs further down the line he you know in uh, you know Graffiti Bridge obviously in front of Joy and Repetition there's that that kind of same thing a little bit. There's a this interlude you know and uh, leading into you know Joy and Repetition and um, which is very much reminds me of, of this, but this obviously predates, you know, joy in repetition. But as we've come to, I guess, understand now after Prince's death and, you know, hearing all the, a lot of the stuff that that's coming out of the vault and whatnot, that he obviously had versions of songs years before, you know, a lot of times that he would kind of tweak and mess with and stuff like that. So I wonder if this kind of concept of, of doing something like that was something that he, you know, wanted to do a lot more of and have these kind of interludes even on the you know the love symbol album there's those kind of interstitial you know bits kind of telling the story so you know i, I wonder mm-hmm. if this was kind of the first time he was maybe working something like that into uh, a song you know or you know kind of setting it up in that way and at least yeah. in the, you know, the listener's mind saying okay this yeah. is where this is taking place and you know this whatever and you know so that's the way i look at it or the way i take it and you know it's an interesting little you know you're kind of wondering what's going on i mean it has that starts off with kind of the uh very similar drum to, to you know drum sequence to housequake and then you hear these voices and you know cat doing her thing and then you know the the sleazy kind of music whatever promoter type you know saying you know she he wants her to meet his musical friends or the musicians or whatever so yeah yeah so so, so what i hear and again, I as I mentioned, it's very and as you suggested, there's a lot of crosstalk, so it's not easy to kind of pick up what's being said. And because the song is instrumental, I never really bothered to really understand what was being said besides the lines that were clear, like the servant up Frankie and uh, but then somebody saying, that's precisely what I want to do, honey. That's the prince to kind of doing that, you know, that kind of sleazy voice, as you mentioned. And then he, then according to the lyrics that I'm reading, online somebody saying around the same time honey do you know i let robert cut my hair this morning <laughs> yeah and then somebody says oh girl where'd you get those shoes and then you can hear cat say something about these are come and fuck me pumps or something like that or fuck me pumps uh that line's fairly clear to me yeah uh so yeah that, and then you get the um the come fuck me pumps line and then you hear or what's written is somebody says something about maurice and i'm like okay so we we heard brother maurice is going to come around with the bucket full of squirrel meat that's one of the lines in super funky califragile sexy 
And yeah, there's a lot to, of talk about squirrel meat on this album, I, which I, I don't really understand either, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we tried to we tried to decipher, figure out amongst uh, myself and my guest for that episode, Todd, um, <laughs> what squirrel meat is referring to. And we have theories, but neither of us have any definitive answers, of course. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the, probably the point. Um, Maurice, what can I serve you? And then that's when you kind of hear some guys, whether it's Wally and Greg, which has been kind of speculated about and put in Prince Vault as possibly them saying squirrel meat you hear somebody say frankie play something bitch baby i swear to god if, if you don't kiss them i'm gonna kick your supernatural ass <laughs> there's just <laughs> this is just a really kind of weird aggressive conversation going on here and like i said so much of it is unintelligible because of it's being so uh laid on top of each other within the the drum beat the housequake-esque drum beat happening in in the beginning cat what's happening babe bitch would you play something i mean i don't know (laughs) there's yeah there is a lot going on that leads up to this you know so this kind of whatever you want to call it this funky jam you know seven minute funky just six minute funky jam whatever and uh yeah it's you know it's it's intriguing i mean you you want to you know it's obviously something you you know you put on that's one of the things that'll make you put on a pair of headphones and try and decipher you know what what exactly is is being said and even then sometimes you really kind of can't you know get it all you know completely figured out and so you know it's just i guess something that uh and yeah you said i wonder how much of it was off the the cuff or was it like scripted and you know all right now you guys say this part or i'll say this part and yeah so i don't know i definitely hear somebody i hear cat saying something like it's not that type of party yeah right right um, so it kind of makes me feel like they're, I don't know, hitting on her or talking. I, I don't actually, I don't even know if that's quite what's going on, but cause she seems like aggressive early on with the, these are come fuck me pumps. So you think that she's the one being aggressive, but then you hear the word bitch thrown around a couple times, play something bitch. Uh, yeah. Let's see, honey, you see these pumps, and you hear somebody yelling in the back, bitch, who are you calling a bitch, ho bitch? I mean, so bitch is, bitch is being uh, called out here a few times in the beginning. Um, not really overt, because, again, it's so buried, so you don't really get, like, doesn't doesn't really shock you or surprise you, because you could barely even tell what they're saying anyway. Finally, like, you get towards the end of this chaotic intro, uh, and you hear somebody say, uh, no, no, you'll like them. They're musicians. And then you get the the title of the song. Uh, and as I kind of said in my preface, you know, I don't say the word. So I'm just going to say two abbreviated N words, United for West Compton. And that's the name of the song. And then we go straight into the, the basically the instrumental, which is almost, well, the song is in, in total is about seven minutes long. So it's a long instrumental too. It's not like a, a short one. It's a long instrumental. It goes on for a while. Yeah. Um, again, this song, and I didn't mention this yet, but this song was one of the three songs that were written and recorded for Sheila E.'s birthday party in December of 1986. So uh, it really kind of was meant for a party. And it has that it has a party atmosphere to it. It has a party sound to it. Uh, Bob George was the other one, and so was Legrand. So those three songs kind of predate even probably the the idea of the black album as a concept like they were songs created around a time when in late 86 when prince was going through some shit basically um (laughs) 
you know, revolution breaking up, breaking up with Susanna, trying to get this next project off the ground as a three album set. And that was being, you know, the idea was being rejected by this label. So he had some aggressions to get out. And, and I wouldn't say the grind is especially, especially aggressive or, or angry sounding. And, you know, the music of this song isn't, but, and, and it's believed like that whole intro was then recorded much later, not not because you know the the version that was played at the uh, Sheila's birthday party or created for Sheila's birthday party wouldn't have had this intro simply because Cat Glover wasn't even part of Prince's uh, you know his crew yet his band. So yeah, she she, she was probably still on Star Search at that point. Yeah, so I mean, but by even if like. Because that, yeah, that's where she came from. Question. A lot of people forget that, but yeah, that's where she started. So right. that's where so Prince kind of found her. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's no way that she could have been there in December of 1986. To, well, she wasn't there December of 1986 to record this intro because she wasn't affiliated with Prince yet. So it's widely believed that this whole intro was added uh, much later, once the Black Album kind of became like this this concept that Prince was toying with and getting ready to kind of put out there. So there's that that aspect of it in the title um, was, I guess, given to the song by Sheila E. That that's that's the story, and that that was documented in uh, Dwayne Tudal's most recent book about the parade and sign of the times studio sessions from eighty five eighty six. Is that this was just an instrumental jam with no name? Prince allegedly, as told by Sheila, asked her, or you know, said, "Hey, I don't have a name for this song." And I guess they were probably talking because it was for her party, uh, and she came up with this name. That's had yeah. you heard that story before? I had not, um, <laughs> and I don't know. It's, it seems, you know, I mean, I, I assume it's true. I mean, but Sheila doesn't seem like the type that would come up with a name like that, I suppose. But I, I guess, I mean, you know, it, it, it's odd that it came from her. But uh, yeah, I guess. I yeah, mean, I thought it was a little odd. If too, that's been reported, then I guess so. But yeah, yep. well, I wasn't there. Says. So I, that's you know. what she says. So <laughs> we're going to go with it, I guess. Yeah. If we run with that belief that Sheila came up with the name of the song. Because I always wondered, like, the name of the song kind of implies to me, like, there's United for West Compton. So this predates, like, N.W.A. straight out of Compton. And I think it predates, for the most part, like, the the plight of inner city uh, Los Angeles. Um, well, South Central Los Angeles really kind of becoming... A major news story around the world it predates the movie Colors, predates NWA. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Colors actually because I, I think that was '87. I want to say, but the movie. Yeah, '87 or '88. It was yeah. like '87 or '88, and so the song. You know, yeah. Without looking it up off the top of my head, I want to say '87, but that was kind of one of the first ones, and then you know I think Ice T had a song on that. You know that kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of started that kind of like oh you know the things are so but you know you get this picture of how whatever, how shitty things in the gang scene are in, 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 you know, South Central LA. So, yeah. Right. So maybe it wasn't a, like a, a national news yet, or at least it hadn't reached, you know, uh new saturation where, you know, a white kid from Wisconsin, myself would, would know anything about Compton, but Sheila being from California, of course, uh, she's not from Southern California, but she's from California. 
she might have been. And the song was recorded at Sunset Sound Studios, which is in Hollywood, Los Angeles area. That helps me understand a little bit better where the name comes from. I just the the name coming from Prince just seemed really odd to me, being you know a guy from Minnesota. What's his connection to Compton, California? What would be his connection to Compton? And it just, yeah, I mean, being in Los Angeles for working on projects at Sunset Sound, sure, he could have been watching the news and heard about gang violence or, you know, police brutality and just the overall dire situation happening in Southern California and South Central L.A. And could have named it, sure, I guess, but it also makes sense to me that this name was come up or was uh, was created by Sheila just on a whim, she claims. Like, she didn't really put much thought into it. She just thought it was funny. So, there you have it. I mean, in my mind, you know, like, I, I had taken until, like, really discussing it or now talking, you know, about it um, with you. I mean, up until that, saying her, you know, her saying that or me knowing that. I assumed that it was tied into the whole rap thing as well, because obviously Prince, you know, on dead on it, uh, you know, obviously, you know, expresses his disdain or, or, or how should we say it? I guess, dislike of rap and, you know, and kind of, a, if you want to call it the, you know, his version of a, a diss track before that was a thing even. So I thought maybe it had something to do with that, obviously because of all the, you know, all the music that had come out of, you know, there, or, you know, maybe not so much at that point yet, but in my mind, that's kind of where, you know, not really getting the album or hearing these songs until the early 90s when that all that music, all that rap and all, the, all those bands or you know, groups came out of that area. You know, to me, that's where I tied that together. I just assumed yeah. that it was more about, uh, you know, more about, you know, maybe him kind of another, you know, taking the piss out of, out of rap artists a little bit more. But that Which was, would have made total sense if this was released like in 1988 or 1989. Yeah, totally. But I've said, you know, it's, it's, it does predate that. But to say again, me, me hearing it, not hearing it until 93, you know, 92, 93, um, you know, that I, I immediately made that connection, you know, then thinking, okay, well, Prince really doesn't like rap here at this point. So I guess mm-hmm. he's screwing around with them still with this, that title. But. You know, but that, that obviously isn't the case if, you know, Sheila's just saying she, you know, just made it up off the top of her head for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. that's what I, you know, took from, from it. Yeah, I think you and a lot of other people, myself included at first, until I started doing the math, you know, it started yeah. like, wait a second, straight out of Compton didn't come out until the summer of 1988. You know, I mean, I was alive. I, I, I didn't live there, but I, I lived through it <laughs> in, in, in my own way. And so I know exactly when the shit was released you know and these are facts like you could look on the internet and find out when something was released look back at when this song was recorded and you can't tell me that prince was influenced by nwa's straight out of content when this was named that's absolutely not true so yeah totally I mean, <laughs> these are these are facts yeah um, i i totally <laughs> understand that and yeah but you know we, we know in today's day and age jason i mean come on you know people uh you know, alternative there's alternative facts and fake news and yep. every, everyone, <laughs> lots everyone, of fake news <laughs> whatever's in their own head they're going to believe it, it's sad but uh, you know even if you put it right in front of their face you know a lot of times people are going to be like no it's not right that's no, wrong I, what I'm just going to tell you is right and mm-hmm. all right well whatever yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, you know. maybe maybe Prince got a, an early 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 copy of the album and he yeah 
<laughs> he was uh he met super Easy excited he met it. Easy somewhere and you know, they talked about it and <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. what happened. All right. Sure well, <laughs> there probably isn't a whole lot more to talk about with this song in particular, you know. It's like I said, it's an instrumental we've already probably talked more about an instrumental than most instrumentals get <laughs> talked about uh on this on this uh, podcast so yeah for a uh, for a podcast that ostensibly is supposed to be talking about lyrics <laughs> yeah. we're talking I mean, quite a bit about an instrumental <laughs> the title's fascinating title song's fascinating to me and so is uh i mean i wouldn't say i'm fascinated by the intro because it just seems like really kind of random stuff but um there's some kind of interesting interesting lines that are set here and you know the, the the whole genesis behind it like what prompted it why even include it i think it was just included just the intro that is just to make a nice segue between the two songs that's really all i can think of I mean, otherwise it doesn't serve the song any purpose and also gives it gives the you know them a chance to say the name of the song because so, so many instrumentals like a song like venus de milo Nobody says, you know, anywhere in the song. And now I present Venus de Milo. Right, right. Instrumental. Like, yeah. that's just not something you normally do with instrumental songs. But Prince must have enjoyed the name that Sheila gave the song. Like, yeah, it's kind of a fun name. I, but how am I going to kind of kind of hammer that home as but the name of the song? Unless I have somebody yell it at the beginning. Basically bookend the song with somebody yelling the, yeah, uh, the, the title, right? Yeah, two yeah. N words united for West Compton at the very beginning and at the very end, and that's that's what that's how we know that this is the name of the song or that the song is even called that, other than just you know the track. We're seeing yeah, seeing it on the liner notes or the, right. you know, the track listing. So yeah, yep. All right, well, um, Jerry, where can people find you and what you're up to and on social media? Yeah, see, most of my stuff, you know, uh, I filter through uh, through my you know my Twitter Twitter account, uh, you know, at jbonner71. So, if you want to check me out there for whatever random musings and talk about prints and other fun things, and you know, yeah, look me up there and uh, you know, let's talk. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me today about this. Enjoyed uh, your story, <laughs> as, as tragic as it maybe kind of was in some ways. Uh, but still, well, it's you know, I, I learned story. a lesson. I mean, you know, that's that's the way things go, right? It's you know, don't ever get so you know hyped up for something that you know maybe isn't going to be you know the great you know what you think it is or, or as, as great as you think it is, and you know, and definitely don't listen to rock critics because they don't know jack shit. <laughs> yeah, hype is hype is the enemy of uh, <laughs> expectations. Exactly. <laughs> for sure, that. don't believe the hype. That's don't believe the hype exactly. <laughs> all right well thanks again and um you know this has been the press for wine prince Lords podcast i've been your host jason preninger you can find the show at press for wine pod on instagram facebook and twitter uh you can also find the show on youtube check it out and until next time thank you and goodbye <laughs>